Hey, welcome to True Alignment. I'm Edgar Papke. And I'm Ken Sagendorf. Uh, we're here today in Edgar's office in the Innovation Center in the Anderson College of Business and Computing at Regis University in Denver, Colorado. Couldn't get it in one breath that time. Uh, oh, you get it in. That's good. We, <laughs> we <laughs> got it miss in. A beat. Never miss a beat. Yeah, we have a bunch of young students working on financial markets and modeling in our normal house. So, uh, yeah, they're having a conversation about inflation and uh, how much control actually government policy does have on inflation. And, um, and I think they're right now making a list of all the people that we can blame, <laughs> which is such an unusual tactic and unusual approach. Yeah. <laughs> Go figure, huh? Yes. Yeah. And so we, we're, we're super fortunate today. Um, we have a guest on the podcast as, as we, as we like to do. Um, just a reminder as we have, um, as we broadcast, Info at truealignment.com. Anybody who wants to send a question can send us a question. Um, we're joined today by Sharice Hawkins. So um, there's a long list of, of what I know about Sharice, and we'll ask you to, to fill in here. Um, Sharice is on our executive advisory board here in the Anderson College of Business and Computing. Um, she's an entrepreneur here in town with her company, Page Dip. She has competed on Shark Tank. She is a former Disney Imagineer. Um, and she's very sought after in this entrepreneurial space. You are. I know a lot of people that are looking for you. Um, uh, but here's the one thing that I will share. Sharice's company, Page Dip, and we run our executive ed in, in some of Edgar's classes through our executive ed on the Page Dip platform. And uh, I've shared this with Sharice. Uh, it's such a wonderful um, Edgar, maybe we'll, we'll invite you in to talk a little bit about this uh, concept of high touch. Uh-huh because her company is extremely high touch. I mean, customer service bar none, you feel like you've been friends forever. And, and as they help you build the thing that you're trying to build and envision. Mm -hmm. So welcome Sharice. Thank you. Can you give us the, um, I, I know this is a practice thing at this point, but give us the page dip is. Page dip is a way to know if your content is working or not. That's like the, the overall headline. Uh, the tool itself is a way to create interactive digital documentation so that you can create, distribute, and then measure its efficacy. Yes. So our secret sauce is actually knowing with data how your content's doing. That's awesome. And you have, uh, you know, one of the amazing things is this idea that you can, you can put content behind content without ever leaving. Right. right. And, and that is such an amazing tool. What do you call those uh, we call the, the interaction that you're talking about a bink. We have another 26 different widgets that we utilize. But I like to think about um, PageTip gives you the illusion of brevity so people can skim and find what they're looking for and choose their own adventure. Um, but at the end of the day, everything that they're looking for really is still on the page, uh, waiting for them to discover it. And then we can also know what they're looking at. Yeah, somebody who's built web pages that are 75 and 100 pages deep, like they're just... They're nightmarish to control. They're nightmarish to to put the content in there. So I just, uh, what a great product. Thank you. So Thank uh, you. I, I love it. And I want to get to how did you, I want to get to how you got to where you are now with, with Page Dip. Um, but give us the, give us the Sharice story. <laughs> like how, how, where, where did you come from, Sharice? I, I was actually impressed that you remembered these details uh, as you were around. Uh, you're, an no oh, you're, you're an impressive no person. <laughs> you got, he remembers a lot. <laughs> Be careful what I say. One of the reasons we keep him around. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, 
And the only thing that I would add is the, the corporate escapee. I consider myself a corporate oh, escapee. Right. Um, I think I might have coined the term. I want to claim that I coined that term. You should. Um, we can claim it right here. It's on <laughs> okay, the air. Okay, you heard it here. <laughs> uh, my background, I grew up in the Midwest, and uh, and then I ended up moving more and more west over my, my lifetime. And uh, I was always interested in, in taking things apart, like the true kind of like geek story, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm really thankful to my grandmother who taught me how to sew which is a lost art, um, but it really allows you to understand spatial awareness and how to put things together. And I think it's like engineering uh, for girls, like in my grandmother's day, you know? Yeah, well, you know, though I, uh, last born son of three okay. to my mother, so I'm pretty good with a needle and thread. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I used to patch my blue jeans back in the 70s and... Uh-huh, there's a reference. Yeah. Uh-huh. You, you, didn't, you didn't go with the, uh, I went with the iron-ons. Oh. You know, the like scrape your skin off iron on patches. Oh, wow. That's <laughs> nasty. They're, 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 they're see my knees. Uh, <laughs> no, thanks. So much to share. Um, there, there's, but to, like really weird things if like my mom would come in and say, why, why did you take the Barbie car thing apart? You know, it's like, well, but how does it work? So I just think there's this innate curiosity. And I always say that, um, you know, engineering and technology is, an art form, like it's a very creative endeavor, even though we talk about it so much as a Agreed. cold, yep. like media, I mean, sorry, data driven. Um, but I think it's a really creative, huh? really creative endeavor. So, okay, so fast forward, I went to, went to college, um, got my first degree there at University of Arizona and, um, and quickly realized I'm going to, I'm going to share something I don't often share, which is the fact that my degree was in chemical engineering. This is where you go, oh, like, <laughs> why did you pick that degree? Um, but I, I loved chemistry and I loved math and I thought it would be a great degree. It was a great degree. It's just, I didn't understand what jobs you could get with, as a chemical engineer. Um, so I, uh, long story short, I ended up working as an electrical engineer for Walt Disney Imagineering. So don't ask wow. me to, don't ask me to like, uh, you know, balance and a, a chemical equation. I don't remember any of that, um, but it led to a career that was around media, around entertainment, around my, content. My first, uh, my first uh, job getting coming out of high school was working as a lab technician, and I was actually registered to go to the New York Institute of Technology to study chemistry. And here I am today. What? No. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. No. That's I have a biology degree, and chemistry was the enemy. Item. <laughs> Yes, chemistry never made sense to me. I could never figure it out. I still have like like nightmares about P chem. Like, oh, it was just it was. So I took hard. the MCATs to to go to medical school, mm-hmm. and uh, I, one of my friends that I studied with was an actual physical chemist, and we came out and and uh, you know the med boards are medicine is a profession, so they limit the amount of people coming into the profession as people are going out of the profession, like law, like the law system. Um, and that was the year where they had enough doctors and they didn't want any more. And so I came out of that, that section and I looked at my friend and I said, what was that? <laughs> and she said, I have no idea. I'm like, if you don't, how should I? Um, yeah. Um, this shows you. Gives I, me the shivers. I don't usually tell that story. It, it's taken a while to like actually admit I, I got this degree that had nothing to do with my career, but sharing it lets people know that um, you make your way, you know, you start from right. someplace, you learn how to learn. I loved, you know, engineering school. I went up, but anyway, so I've now cut, gotten to a point where I'll actually tell the truth about my undergrad. It's, it's funny, Sharice. So, you know, I had just sent my youngest daughter to college. We go to parents weekend this weekend, by the way, can't wait. 
Um, she's at Gonzaga, um, go Zags. Um, but the, she was so afraid she's an undeclared major and colleges don't want you to be an undeclared. Like everything is about, you know, I mean, and at 18 years old, 17 years old, knowing your entire career direction, I mean, and this is the conversation I've had with her, you know, in our household, you know, I have a biology degree, a physiology degree, uh, a PhD in education, a postdoc in marketing and management. And now I'm, a, you know, running an innovation center and, you know, teaching people how to start businesses. Um, you can't go wrong. I mean, my wife has a dance degree and then she got an exercise physiology degree. She works with diabetes prevention. Like your life, your life goes. Yeah, you find your way. Mm-hmm. I will say that my daughter went to the University of Arizona as well many years later, and they, um, in engineering, they don't allow you to declare your major. Right. You take a course where they, every engineering major comes and presents. They don't just present the curriculum. They have people from industry come and talk about what you do in that job. I'm like, this is amazing. Why didn't they have that when I was 17? And so she picked, she, she picked better. She picked optical engineering, <laughs> um, and she picked much better. Having that background, though, having yeah. that, that opportunity, that one semester made it all the difference. Yeah, the curiosity and exploration element of education that really, for all, for what learning is all about, ought to always be up front, right? Well, we, we talked a Not little bit about on a previous podcast about, you know, how does work work anyway? Yeah. Right? I mean, you put all these people together and they all have different skill sets and different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then what? So um, I've done, I've, I've been going to different parks and installing different, uh, I was a, a show ride engineer at Disney and, uh, I found myself in Paris working on the, on the park there. And it was, it was a great experience to, if anyone has a chance to go and, and open up a new theme park, I recommend it. Um, <laughs> a lot of hours, a lot of work. Uh, but at that point I'd been, um, thinking about leaving Southern California. And at that point mm-hmm. I also met my now husband and I said, you know, I'd really like to go live in Colorado. And uh, so I, I tried to find a job in Colorado. I, I ended up working at a, a company that was on the innovation campus at University of, of at CU. And I remember walk, driving up to this building. I had an interview, and there's this great view of the Flatirons. And I thought, I don't care what job they give me. We're just going to move here. <laughs> it's going to all work out. And it turned out to be a great job, uh, opened doors to, to the next part of my career. Um, and we've been in Boulder ever since. So that was at U.S. West Advanced Technologies. Then I went and worked at Divicom. They got sold to Harmonic. I got recruited to go work at Time Warner Cable Advanced Technologies. I did that for almost 10 years. Uh, and so that was the corporate part of my, of my journey and um, have, have great fond memories, experiences um, and from, from all that era. So what part of those experiences is you is we'll come back around to being a corporate escapee. Um, <laughs> What, what part of those experiences allowed you to bring that same curiosity that took the Barbie doll car apart? <laughs> and, and which parts didn't? Um, I think there's just a lot to be said. And I even tell entrepreneurs now, if you can learn on somebody else, in somebody else's environment with a great culture, I, those, all those companies had fantastic culture, fantastic uh, opportunity to help train you as a leader. Um, one of them, you know, helped pay for my master's degree. So there was just a lot of foundation that you can find mm-hmm. in, in corporate life, mentorship, um, opportunities. I learned to, to do public speaking and write white papers. And there's just a lot of things that I learned to do, but eventually balance budgets and manage large teams of engineering. And to learn that with, 
with some support systems in place. Um, I think it's a great path. And as a woman who also, um, at, around that same time I had my, my daughter, um, being able to have the, the sort of the security of all of the things that corporate provides um, was also important. I don't think we talk about that enough. You know, it's, it was nice to have a 401k, and it was nice yeah. to know that payroll would be made. <laughs> um, <laughs> and those are things that are not always guaranteed when you're, when you're a CEO of a small company or in a startup environment. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, having just come out of Denver Startup Week, um, you know, it's still presented the idea of, of entrepreneurship. And, and Edgar, I think, you know, this is so much of your work with CEOs over time is, you know, what we sell in Startup Week is we, we're still selling the dream. I mean, this is one thing that has really bothered me is you know, we make it so dreamy, not the, not the real work that it is to, to start something and be, be a successful entrepreneur. Um, and and this, this year's Startup Week was, was no different, right? I mean, you roll out the person that just had their successful Series B round. And, and you know, I'm sitting next to a woman who's, you know, making pots that hang on your railing, like in the disconnect between that and where she was, it's just such a large disconnect. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so Sharice, what, what made you escape? (laughs) Um, I am a very creative, uh, person. I like to start things. I like the, I, I like the ideation and implementation stage. And I think it really, that imprint came from being working at Disney. Our projects were about two years long. You would do all this hard work and then you'd see the end of it and you'd come back around and you'd start again. And so I found myself um, in a fantastic, my husband still says, wait, let's just, re- let's just review. You had this great job and title and team and the product was going great. And you're literally sitting in a corner office like, what, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why you wanted to leave that? Um, but the, the, the lure of starting something new and the excitement and even the a little bit of fear and um, anticipation of it, or not knowing if it's going to work out or not, I'm drawn to that. Um, and not to mention that I thought there was a big problem to solve. But there, personally, there was this not liking to be at steady state. And at that point where I left, um, really large team, fantastic individuals. Our product had been deployed to million, literally 13 million subscribers. And I just felt like we were, what, what next? Like, where's the next new thing that we can start? Um, so that's, that's when I, I left on Friday the 13th. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Lucky. Yes, very lucky. very lucky. I always, uh, you know, we're here in Colorado and, 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 you know, Edgar in Louisville and you in Boulder, Cerise. And, and I love to mountain bike and I am a very, very mediocre mountain biker. <laughs> um, but, but here's the reason I love it. There's a tension, there's a tension there, right? I mean, you have, you have a heightened attention and you, um, you're not a hundred percent sure you're going to be able to manage. Jim's a better mountain biker than I am. I know he is over there. Um, you're not a hundred percent sure you're going to be able to go down or up, but there's something inviting about a little bit of that, that fear and tension yes. simultaneously. Yes. I mean, I, I like that too. Yes. Um, and I never, I never think back about my own career where uh, I, I get itchy about every three to five years mm-hmm. and I want, I want something new. I mean, this is, uh, it's interesting. The thought that crosses my mind as I'm listening to you is this, idea of that um, so often what happens to us, we reach a decision point. It's like a fork in the road. And all of these forks in the road, as far as I can tell, for the most part, and this is, I think, particularly true of entrepreneurs, is to look at that fork and say, okay, now what do I do with this in the moment, recognizing the fear? 
So the fear, the fear is there, and the fear creates that tension. I mean, that's what it, that's what it's all about. I'm in the current state. What does my desired future state look like, and how do I get there? Right. So to me, that's really interesting. So we like to say that um, adults are just children with more sophisticated <laughs> means to manage their fears, right? And so uh, one way we do that, I think, and and this I think has a lot to do with an on like an entrepreneurial mindset. And maybe why the dreamy part, as you referenced before, is, is so powerful. Because at that moment, uh, you know, when fear comes, uh, one form of sophisticated management is to figure out all the different ways we avoid it. Mm-hmm. And the other, if you take the other path and the fork of the road, it's about curiosity. Mm-hmm. It's about curiosity. The tension then leads to a state of curiosity, which is then what leads us to creativity. And that, that constant that constant motion of using fear in that way is, is so powerful. So to me, it's kind of entertaining to hear you talk about your husband saying, you know, yeah, Hank, what, what, let me paint this picture for you. What the hell happened? Yes. <laughs> right? And you're like, yeah, well, you know, I, I recognize there's, there's a, and, and the tension there is one around personal alignment too, because it says, who really am I? And, you know, what do I really want? And I only get, and it's true, you only get the one lap around when it comes to life. So. Yeah. To, to be able to acknowledge that in the moment and manage the fear through a sense of curiosity and wonderment as opposed to, you know, shying away from it or not well, stepping into you, it. You know, I'll bring back the mountain bike uh, conversation. You know what makes you a better mountain biker? Going over the handlebars. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean, because you need to realize that, nodding his head. <laughs> that <laughs> you're, not going, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. You're going to get up and you're going to ride again. Mm-hmm. Um Case in point, my son coming down in Aspen uh, a couple of years or so ago wound up in a hospital and surgery with a really blasted out collarbone and um, and then just said this summer finished and, and uh, completed the 100-mile Leadville trail race. Leadville trail, oh. Yeah, so, yeah, he went over the handlebars and came back and much more powerful and much more knowledgeable and a better rider than he ever you know, was back then. I mean, it's just part of growth, isn't it? Yeah. I I mean, it totally is. But, you know, I think that we have the, you know, the American kind of corporate ideal of, I mean, we know it's not true anymore, more so now than ever before of going to work for a company and being there for 40 years. Mm -hmm. I mean, and we poke fun at it. I mean, I, I have a hard time coming up with the movie references. Sometimes some TV references pop in there, right? WandaVision, right? (laughs) The the kind of callback to the Mm fifties, you know, he's going to the corporate job every day, right? I mean, um, we still have that kind of idealism in our American culture about some corporation is going to take you for the next 40 years of your life. And that's really interesting, especially now with the quiet quitting, everything, right? We call it the great alignment, not the great resignation, because it's just one part. The resignation is like quitting. I think people are searching, right? That's what we talk about. And this idea of where does that, where does that, where does that play? What's your experience with the people that work with you? And what are they really looking for that you can kind of wrap your hands around? Well, that's a good question. Um, well, one thing that, that came to mind when you were talking, Ken, was uh, my favorite book of all time was, uh, for leadership is called um, First Break All the Rules mm-hmm. and around how you align with different people's skills. And I think about myself and what I like to do when I think I'm good at versus the other phases of a project or, or you know, a corporate experience. And recognizing even in my own company, I think at a certain point it will get to a size where I'm not the right leader anymore for 
a lot of different reasons. And it might be when it gets to more that steady state or slower growth or less risk. That's not, that's not what excites me. And, and acknowledging that, you know, you don't have to be there for 20 years. You don't have to be there forever. Um, but in terms of our team, you know, there's, there's so much studies around, is it, is it money first? I'm here to tell you it's not money first. <laughs> um, but that, that sense of purpose, that sense of helping um, others, I think that's what binds us together. And when someone comes with a particularly gnarly content issue or problem and we ask them, you know, how, what, what do you want that outcome to look like? What's the best possible outcome? And we can help them get from here to there. We're, you know, they don't know it, but in the back, you know, in front of our community, we're like doing a little dance, you know, like we help them make this better. And I don't get tired of that. I don't get tired of that little excitement of, of supporting and making, and having people say, this is working for me now. And can you help me get unstuck? Um, I think we all have that, that common joy associated with it. And there's the other things. Yeah, the code ran and, you know, yes, it's faster and oh, that's beautiful. But there's that actually helping people and and helping them move their content forward that is some just some pure joy that we're not tired of in the true alignment framework we begin with the basic uh, approach that uh, business is the most advanced art form that we participate in as human beings and art is, is the creative expression of human need desire want and what we do in business we create products and services and find solutions to satisfy that tension of what people need want we where the true intention of business is to help one another. You strip everything away. There you are, and it's it's Could nice. Come to, to the Anderson nice College of Business for that version. Yes, yeah. sorry, the advertiser yeah, yeah. and me just <laughs> needed to say that out loud. Uh, there it is. <laughs> there it is. And you you begin with that basic construct, and that opens your 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 eyes to that excitement that you're talking about. That says, yeah, we can we we can help. We can provide uh, whatever the solution is. That's what it's all about. I mean, that's that's what the innovation is all about. Is Solving a problem, creating a, a change in a constructive and, and positive way. Yeah, certainly when you good do on it, you. Certainly yeah. when you do it well, right? I mean, I think that this is the, you know, so Sharice, there's a lots of things that don't, um, in your in your story and in your background, don't we don't traditionally put next to each other, right? We don't. <laughs> I mean, we don't put engineer and creativity necessarily yes. in today's world and in, in in the way we stereotype things um, next to each other, mm-hmm. and then this idea of of, of you with a technology company exclaiming that you, you want, so you want to, you want to celebrate because you're helping people. And, and, you know, in, in the, in the way we think about business and startups here in the innovation center, um, uh, Edgar stepping out to take a call from the white house. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Right. <laughs> um, there's so much shouting going on. Right. I mean, and, and this is a conversation we have. I'm teaching a marketing strategy class right now. This is a conversation we have uh, all the time is that um, most people think of marketing as a synonym for um, advertising, sales or PR, mm-hmm. like without the full understanding of, of what marketing does. And so their approach is always to shout. And we have a very, very, very noisy world. Um, in, in this approach that you take and you talk about your employees with that great question Edgar asked you is this idea that, that we can help people. And then the idea that your content can work. So it's the, I'm still going to shout with my content, but I actually am interested whether or not it's heard. Mm -hmm. Um, 
I mean, that's a huge, that's a huge play. Yeah. It's a real, it's a paradigm shift, sadly. Um, (laughs) But, you know, we so often are are looking to persuade and and maybe even border on coerce. That's the part that feels icky as a consumer. Totally. Um, But what if we invite? What if we invite you to have a different experience to the content? What if we, um, as we have, what we talk internally is um, make sure that the, the reader feels respected and, and uh, not, not just entertained, but just really understood from something as simple as making content ADA and screen reader compliant. I had the opportunity to, to meet and, and then uh, go to a conference with, a, uh, with Mike, Mike Hess. I don't know if you happen to know Mike Hess from Blind Institute of Technology. And I'd never spent you know, any time with someone who was visually impaired and learning the challenges that he faced, but also learning how incredibly straightforward is to make all content accessible. accessible. Yeah. It blew my mind. Like it's just not that that hard and we could all do it so easily and yet we don't. Um, went <laughs> off on a tangent there, but inviting inviting everyone to be able to uh, look at the content and then doing the work to take that data um, and then do something with it to actually feed it back in. It becomes a virtuous cycle. If yeah. you get the data and you don't do anything with it, I have words for you. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, so I mean, I, I don't, I honestly, I, I'm always curious whether there is a skill set that exists because I think so many people now have gotten to the point where they know to get data. I mean, we've used this reference before, the Seinfeld reference about the, you know, you know how to take the reservation, you just don't know how to hold the reservation. And I think data is like that for a lot of people, like they now know. You're supposed to get data, but interpreting data. I, I mean, the, the biggest work I do with my students is their biases are there. You run them through these processes and then you say, and your biases are still there. Mm-hmm. Like you, you set criteria, but you actually set criteria to affirm your bias before you even started. Um, and, and you catch them in that all the time. And I mean, and really that what we're trying to do is, is knock them loose so that you can get to be building the virtuous cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, that is, uh, I don't know. I, you know, I, you make me wonder. You make me wonder if a little bit in your career and, and in my in my path isn't similar in the sense of you know I say I get itchy, um, because if we're turning over the same thing, um, I kind of get bored. You know, I want to. It needs to mean something. It needs to improve. It needs to grow. Whatever the version is that 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 I need is, um, I don't want to just do the same thing. It can be a bit of a blessing and a curse. Like sometimes like people will ask me, why do you want to improve everything? It's like, be, like, can't you just be satisfied with the way it is? And the answer is no. <laughs> um, but doing improving um, in, a, in a mindful way, um, for example, with the, the data that we are able to provide our customers, they often ask, well, what's, what's being looked at the most or what's, com- what's the most compelling? And that's a great question to ask. The other question to ask is, what is no one looking at yeah. and why? You know, the first one sort of affirms, like you said, your bias about what's important and what's valuable. The other one can really open your eyes to uh, where the miss is or where there might be wasted time or energy. Uh, so you have to look at both ends of the spectrum. That, that relationship that you talk about with, your, with you know, the consumer of your, of your content, with whatever business you're working with, with your platform, Sharice, you know, this is... Um, in, in the alignment framework, we talk about the, the three fundamental human emotions of, of being made to feel important, um, to feel competent, and, and to feel cared for. And, and, you know, I hear you talking, you know, pretty, pretty succinctly about, 
you know, when we do content, when we push content out, we are caring for the person that is consuming this content. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, that I think is, uh, I think that is a unique approach in and of itself. There's a, 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 a story that's taken on uh, a lot of lore within our, our, our group, our company. And I'm not going to name the name of the organization, but we're working with a very large organization. And one of the, um, the employees there saw what we were um, pitching. And he said, wow, this, the way this uh, content's laid out and the opportunity to use Binks and, and gather more information, it makes me not feel stupid. <laughs> and I've never, that just hit me like right in the heart. Like that's what we, we do want to feel competent. And so if there's something that allows me to touch and get a little, a quick hit of information or remember that whatever it is, definition, um, range of, of what's the right value, whatever it is, and not have to have that, that little moment of anxiety of I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, that's a gift in and of itself, tiny, but those little, those little small things that just remove a little bit of friction, give you a little bit more of your time back and, and your, your, I don't want to say dignity, but you're yeah. but feeling very competent, feeling very in control. Well, I've never, I've, you know, I've never uh, thought about that before. And so I'll, I'll bring in the movie reference. My wife and I wandered into a movie this weekend. It wasn't, um, we're, you know, we're brand new empty nesters. You know, you're supposed to have this big fun life that everybody talks about. And the reality is we wandered into this movie that we ended up both in tears, just sitting on the couch. And it was, um, ah, going to have a hard time remembering the name of it, but it was something like just June. It was a story of a woman that was in a home because she had developed some stroke induced dementia. And, um, you know, it was, it was at some heavy stuff. Like, you know, you could have just gone for the comedy. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> uh, well, and, and you know, what had happened is she had a moment of clarity, but she was a business owner. And she had brought her family into this business. And when she gets this moment of clarity, the first thing she does is she wants to go to the business and she wants to um, see how her children and grandchildren, she wants to see how her family's doing, but she immediately comes in to fix everything. And, and this conversation uh, that, that you talked about, about that, that employee of that organization saying, you know, it doesn't make me feel stupid. This, this was the crux of the movie, the relationship that that, that, that mom who had, you know, come out of her, period of dementia had with her sons and daughters because in in the structure that they were in before mm-hmm. that's how they felt mm-hmm. and and she had to realize something new about her family in in those moments of clarity um, it was it really it's uh, beautiful it was it was a it was a, a touching movie um the business morphed because the daughter had taken um what they did with the same level of quality and gone after a new uh, direction mm-hmm. for the business and and you know, the mom couldn't see it at first and she came to understand it. But, you know, so much of our time, there's so much content right now. And so much of our time is going through it as fast as possible. I mean, I forget, I was in a meeting this week and I said, you know, not for nothing. I know it's, you think it's simple for me to fill out this, you know, 12 column spreadsheet. It's not like it takes a lot of time. And, and I'm in triage mode with all of these other things I need to do. But even consuming content is like that now, right? I mean, and this is, this is, why, <laughs> this is why the addictive nature of the social media, right? I mean, they're on to something because we know you don't want to spend the time. You certainly don't want to try and pick up context clues to figure out what text actually says. Life. Um, 
you know, so this idea of, you know, I never thought about that, about, you know, I don't want to go on to an organization and read about something I'm not 100% sure of and then have it be about me not being able to understand their thing. Right. I mean, and we have so many industries that are like that. I mean, the medical industry is like that. You are so disconnected from understanding your own health. They speak oh. different language. The insurance company codes everything differently. I mean, it is it is really difficult sometimes, especially in some fields. There can be a lot, a lot of anxiety around that. There's, We all know there's too much. We're all swimming. We're all drowning in too much content. Um, the other the other joke we make is no one takes out the content trash either. <laughs> like it just keeps piling up. There's no recycle. Uh, there's no compost. There's nothing. And so uh, it, we we talk about you know health check of page dips and and uh, time stamps, not just versions, but is this still relevant? And if it's not, let's help remind people to take it down, yeah. to get rid of it, to morph it, to archive it, to maybe even completely delete it. That's okay. Um, we've all been in, in you know, large organizations, websites, and it's like no one ever, it's like the, it's like the garage that needs to be cleaned out. Yeah. You know, there's well, I, I mean, there. the image that's coming to my mind is, you know, we talked about kind of shouting content and the idea that people shout and then they want the shout to forever be heard. <laughs> <laughs> like it's just doesn't can't work like that, right? No, you gotta you gotta you gotta purge. So, um, Sharice, let me change topics a little bit. Sure. So, um, you know, you, page dip is growing and, and changing all the time. Um, what were some of the things um, in the page dip journey um, that made you think about the places to grow and the places to change? Well, I'm sure this is something that you teach in all of the the courses here. And uh, I did not get a degree in entrepreneurship before I decided to just be one. Um, listening to the customers, you know, some of our some of our favorite features, some of our best features were ones that we didn't come up with. They were ones that customers asked about, uh, or multiple customers inquired about. And so having some humility around what where, what pe- what people's needs really are, and being open to saying yes, I'll try, or yes, I'll investigate, or yes, and from the improv. Uh, references um you need to be humble and we had a vision for the product there's i could go on and on about different features that we've implemented we thought they were going to be great we got them i think you experienced when we first had page tip we had these things called tabs that would open up all the time and (laughs) it's not like a great idea but when you actually in practice it became too much and so we had to back so there's there's you know you start in a path you get more information you back up and you go a different direction um, but you always make the best decision you can with the information that you have. It's very ambiguous. Uh, but really listening and listening for the nuances of what people are, are looking for, what they're challenged by. Sometimes it's not as big and glamorous as you like or that you think it should be, but it makes all the difference in the world to the, the customer. And, yeah. and that's the one that takes off. Yeah, I, I, you make me wonder if sometime an entrepreneur isn't about, um, is picking a battle too large. And, and something more local, something more, um, you know, and again, in our, in our alignment work, we talk with companies uh, about three of, three of the big things that they really struggle with, managing conflict, solving problems. Um, and, 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 and what we know is the most innovative companies on the planet have processes for these. There's not an answer. There's a process. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I just wonder if an entrepreneur just picks a landscape too large when realizing that the, the, the one thing you do 
will lead to a bigger thing as opposed to picking the big thing and then trying to eat the whole elephant at one time. That, that I could see both sides of that. You know, because I was talking to my daughter the other day about who thought about driving down every street and recording <laughs> the pictures of houses. and stuff. Like, That just seems impossibly large and yet we use this technology indeed thankfully you know i think i think my google maps every single day just coming down here you know um so there are some opportunities that it it, you can just take on a really big problem but they still did it one street at a time right right that's right it wasn't you have to kind of take one step at a time in order to get there yeah, uh, you know, I wonder if you know that's that's actually the tactical approach, but you know, the strategic approach is, you know, people need to understand what what the world looks like in real time, mm-hmm. right? I mean, and that is that is actually, I mean, it's a large problem to try and solve, but it's a small problem to approach, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what I mean yeah. is that you know, if you have a smaller problem to approach, right, right. Um, then people will get started because there's lots of fear in the entrepreneurial space. There is so. Um, let me give you a fairly predictable question. Okay. What's been the biggest surprise to you as an entrepreneur on this journey? Um, I think we, we put the title and the role of CEO up on a pedestal and we don't talk about like parts of the job that I didn't, that I just didn't consider. Um, There's the fun part about you're on a podcast and you can talk about, you can be the voice and the face of the company and then there's the putting furniture together. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just such, and it could be the same day, you know, yeah. in a small company. And so the, the you know, when I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting the CEO at a couple of companies that I worked with, you know, large corporate company, and they're coming in on in limousines and they have, you know, red carpet and assistants and, and, and just CEO of startups is a far cry from <laughs> that, what you think is a glamorous uh, yeah. or, and, and I, I, I just kind of chuckle when, when, you know, kind of people who are considering the role or talk about all the, the exciting parts. And there's just some really mundane work to be done that you don't have the staff to do. And I'm now more appreciative of the CEOs of large companies. I know there was a lot of challenges and sort of hidden areas of, of uh, difficulty that they faced at that level. And we just tend to look at the shiny parts, I guess. Um, Sharice, I I'll have to, and we can have Jim cut this out. Um, but I think it was shared with me that you just had successful funding round. We are, yeah, not right this second. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. We have, we have raised in the past, um, from some phenomenal people, including, um, RVC here in the Denver area. Awesome. Um, and we are going to be doing a new round, um, in January. So, awesome. yeah. Um, when you talk to some of those funders, what what are the what are the points that they miss about Page Dip, in, and about Charisse that you want them to know? <laughs> oh, that's a juicy question. Um, there's just some danger, as we all know, in pattern matching, and so uh, we're on a podcast. People don't know that I'm this, you know, what I look like: small, petite, mature adult. Black woman with gray hair, you know, like that's that's not the picture that we had in Silicon Valley on on TV. Um, but I think with the, with experience and with a different perspective, you get new solutions and you get really innovative solutions. And so there, there's just a little bit of overcoming some of the um, stereotypes of what engineering looks like and what uh, uh, entrepreneurship looks like. And and you know, there's 
uh, new state new data around the age of successful entrepreneurs are not as young as we like to portray in Completely. the media. Yeah. Um, Squarely in middle age. Yeah. The other thing is um, it's hard to understand really, really innovative new ideas. And so when you choose to do something that's really different, um, you always choose to do things from existing Lego blocks. You know, we're, 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 we haven't invented new software language, but we're putting things together in a new way. And I, I feel like there's, there's um, in the desire to reduce risk, people are like, well, is it, is it Lyft to Uber? I'm like, no, it's not. It's, it's more like Uber to taxis. Yeah. And, and we all know the story about how hard it was for Uber to get people to understand this yeah. new concept. So there's just this catch-22 around being really innovative and thinking about a really big problem and, and people kind of wanting to put you in a, a smaller box, a, a more de-risked box. Uh, now I get to say, look at our customer base, and we've de-risked that with some pretty big names. So I yeah. get to, but in the beginning, I didn't have I, I didn't have that foundation to talk about, and that was really challenging, really challenging. I know you've been working with us, and I'm so grateful for that. And and, and we got to introduce you to Joe Tartell that had uh, exited in Verify when Equifax bought them. Yes. Um, and and you know that was just one of those things where it was just a slight shift, mm-hmm. um, but a brutally important one. Right, right. Yeah. Same with DocuSign. I, I got a chance to talk to someone that was early days at DocuSign and wow, that's that could be a movie. You know, where they started and where they ended up and how we use them. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, so Sharice, for our listeners out there, um, roll, roll the advice. Roll the <laughs> advice you would give to another human <laughs> being or the... Um, you, you would go back a decade with your own daughter and you would say, um, how would you say, bring the things that are uniquely you and, and don't be afraid? What advice would you give? You said it very well. <laughs> um, there's a, a trust in your intuition. There's a trust in your perspective that's hard to, um, not hard to, you need to work at allowing that to be seen and heard. Or I did. Um, I'm not a, a bolsterous, um, uh, you know, kind of person. So, but there is definitely some grounded power and differentiated abilities when you really, you know, harness what your unique gifts are. I think we all have unique perspective and gifts. Um, so I would, I, would, I would tell myself to maybe listen to my gut a little bit more and not try to get the data first. And, and I'm a data, you know, we've already heard. I'm a data <laughs> addict perhaps, but um, there is another layer that uh, is important to pay attention to. I mean, what a wonderful way to kind of wrap up our conversation, Sharice. You know that kind of uh, creativity and engineering you put next to each other, and now you're 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 telling me to put listening right there alongside data. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what a what a powerful kind of message that we don't hear every day. Thanks for being a guest here on True Alignment. It was a lot of fun. Thank it was a tremendous me. amount of fun. We're so glad we got to make this work. Um, uh, anybody listening at home? Again, info at truealignment.com. We welcome all questions, comments. Um, on this wonderful episode with Sharice Hawkins, CEO and founder, Page Dip. Um, Thanks for being with us, Sharice. Thank you. See you next time. I'm Ken Sagendorf.